I want to take you on a, on a trip to a magical land. You want to go there with me? It's a creepy thing to say, right? All right. I want to take you to this, this land. I think we've all been there. It is the land, the magical area between Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day. It's a magical land. When you're a little kid, I, it's the stuff that dreams are made of. I mean, letters to Santa and cookies and all the movies you could ask for. In college, it's that beautiful time where school gets out for like a month. It's like, yes, I love Christmas. As an adult, it's the joyous time of fighting for parking places and trying to remember if you watered the tree. Like, not so magical sometimes, but it's a beautiful, beautiful time. Um, I think that there's one thing that's pretty consistent about this time of year, and that is that it's full, right? It's full. Plans, 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 plans. It's traveling plans, visiting plans, shopping plans, parades. You got to put up the tree. You got to hang the lights in the yard. Mail the Christmas cards. And of course, there's like 46 mandatory movies that you have to watch every year. It's like, how do we have enough time to watch all these movies? How do people do this? Plans, 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 plans. It's not bad at all. It's just life. It's, it's the season. And, and we, we manage the best we can. Uh, but it's It's plans. Um, it's this idea of plans. In fact, I want you to say this with me because it's going to be said like 50 times a day. Say plans, plans, plans. Let me hear you. All right, see, that just feels good. Just get off your chest. Plans, plans, plans. It's the idea of planning that I want to talk about today. Uh, but believe it or not, this is not going to be a talk about like time management, though maybe you want to sign up for that one. Like, when are we doing that class? Um, it, it's not. It's, it's not about our plans. It's about God's plans. The fact that maybe God does have Plans. In fact, you might look at life sometimes and be like, God has plans? Um, looking around, it doesn't seem like God has plans because things are crazy. But the reality is and the truth is and the beautiful thing uh, that Christmas actually teaches us, among many things, is that God has plans, plans, plans. I, I hope that the study through this book of Daniel called Stand that we've been doing, this is our sixth week of that. We're wrapping that up today. I hope it's been good for you. Uh, it, I want to kind of give you like a mental... Um, picture to make of the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is broken in half, basically, when you read it. The first half of the book, the first six chapters, are kind of a linear, uh, chronological story of Daniel's life. We meet him when he's about 15. We've looked at a bunch of different stories through his life. And when we last left him, he was like in his 80s. We see a long life of a man. And what we've been saying is that he's a dude who was standing as a God chaser in a world that was not about chasing God. It was just not on his, their agenda. But he was constantly able to rise above, to stand, to stand up, to stand out, to make a difference, to be the difference. Um, that's the first half half of the book of Daniel. We've seen him taking the stand, uh, and we're going to get into the second half today. What we've done in five weeks is gone through the first half. What we're going to do in one week today is go through the whole last half of the book, and you'll see why in just a second. But before we get into the second half, I'd like to take a, a step aside, okay? I want to step out of um, ancient Babylon and Persia and all the stuff that we've been in the last few weeks studying Daniel's life. Step away from that, and I want to come into modern day Wilmington, 2016, and it's Christmas. Right, because isn't that one reason why we come to church? Because I want to see, like, what has God got for me today? Not what was happening 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. What can happen in my life today? And believe it or not, there's a direct connection between the story of Daniel and what we're doing at this season at Christmas. The stuff that Daniel talked about and the stuff that we celebrate and talk about at this season. And, and it's all about God's plans, plans, plans. And the way I want to get us there is show us this picture. You probably recognize a picture similar to this. Um, this is a nativity scene. You've seen this? Maybe you got a 
Maybe you got a similar picture of this on your mantle at home, or maybe you got one of those glowy ones in your yard that looks like Mary's melting. Have you seen that one? Um, but like the, the, this nativity scene, I got to tell you, this is kind of a westernization uh, of, of the nativity. There's not a moment in the Bible that looks anything like this. There's not a moment where these, these guys and these guys and these guys and these people, they all come to the pavilion at the park and they all bend over the, the trough. Like that, that, never, that one moment never happened, but it's a, it's a good picture because it actually represents several great stories, several amazing stories. Like you've got, uh, you've got, of course, in the middle there, you've got Mary and, Jesus, uh, and Joseph. Uh, it's Mary's, this great story of this young lady and, and, and what God does in her life. And Joseph, a whole other great story. Jesus is the little baby there in the middle. And of course, uh, he, he's Jesus and he's kind of what church is about. It's about understanding who Jesus is. And we talk about him every single week. Um, I don't know who the donkey is there on the right, but you kind of go over to the right and you got these shepherds. That represents a whole another story. I mean, these angels, they come to these lowly shepherds, and they announce the birth of God coming into the world. It's a pretty cool story. That's, that's, that's represented there. And, uh, and you know, there, there's all these stories. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, and that's fine if you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you don't know all these different stories. Uh, I want to encourage you to stick around. We, we love to just kind of dig through this, and no matter, where, no matter when, where you're coming into the game and understanding faith and, and Jesus, there's always a chance to learn. Um, I'm not going to assume that you know all these stories, but I am going to assume something else. I am going to assume that you've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special. You've seen that? Remember that moment Linus gets up on stage and he drops his blank and he's like, lights please. And then he tells the Christmas story. If you haven't seen that, I would question your allegiance to our country. Um, but, but go check that because they tell, so that'll be good enough. Like if you know that Christmas story, that's good enough because there's all these different parts of the story. Then you get to these guys on the left. There's normally three of them and they're normally riding camels. And we call them the wise men or the magi. Now we don't know if there were three or possibly more. We don't know if they rode camels. Maybe they... I don't know, got an Uber. I'm not, probably camel is how they got there. We're going to look at this scene today, and we're going to focus, though, like I said, there's lots of good stories. We're going we're gonna to tune in to these guys over here on the camels. Uh, because as I look at all of these people in the picture, I realize that the wise men are like the most unlikely characters of the bunch. They weren't Jewish. They didn't live anywhere near Bethlehem or Jerusalem or anywhere close. Why were they there? And what could it possibly mean to us today? And the cool thing is that their story directly relates back to the story we've been talking about for five weeks. The story of Daniel. The story of Daniel. One thing we've learned from Daniel is that God has plans, plans, plans. And his plans, God's plans, are all about Jesus coming into the world. I told you that the book of Daniel can be divided in half, right? And so we talked about the first half as this linear story of Daniel's life. But the second half of the book of Daniel accounts for some of the things that Daniel received from God about God's biggest plans. The accounts that Daniel writes about are what we would call prophecies. Prophecies. And like, if you're like me and you're like most people, like you hear someone saying they're a prophet, you might get a little bit skeptical. Like, I don't know. Like, so you see the future. Right. Me too. And I got to tell you, that's probably a, a, a good gut reaction <laughs> because a lot of times people are not prophets and they say they are. Uh, they, there are certain people who have claimed to have prophetic visions and they're just, they're not true. Uh, throughout history, there have been people who have claimed, for example, the end of the world is near. You've seen, you know, the, that kind of iconic person on the street corner with a big sign that says the end is near. You want to have some fun this week, go on Wikipedia and search this phrase, predictions of the end of the world. Just look for that. And I mean, like, there's dozens of them throughout history, and they've, 
the guys at Wikipedia, they're on it, man. And they were like, they listed all these things. And it seems like about every 10 years, somebody's predicting the end of the world. And it's, and it's crazy uh, when you hear these stories, and this is why, and I think we're all kind of thinking in the back of our mind, because so often people predict things that do not happen. Now, the definition of a bona fide, reliable prophet is that the things that they say will happen do happen. Would you agree with that? I mean, like, I mean, okay, maybe or maybe not that I believe in prophets. I'm not sure. But if what you say is going to happen does not happen, that leads me to believe that you're not a prophet. In the Bible, they called these people false prophets, and it was a big deal. Being a false prophet was a crime punishable by death. They very, very seriously took the idea of saying that you have a prophetic word from God. Uh, You have to have a track record proving that the prophecies that you say are reliable because your track record shows that things that you said in the past were true. Daniel was not a false prophet. That's what we've spent the last five weeks talking about because Daniel had a track record of the things him saying are going to come true come true, or God being supernaturally involved in his life. You might remember all the way back in week two, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Do you remember this? He doesn't tell Daniel what the dream is. He basically says to Daniel, listen, either you tell me what I'm thinking or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chop you into pieces and kill your whole family. Remember that? King Nebuchadnezzar was crazy. But through a prophetic vision from God, Daniel then knows what the king dreamed. That's crazy. And is able to interpret it. Or maybe you remember a couple weeks later when Daniel is, it, it accurately predicts the death of King Belshazzar. It happened that night. You remember that? Or maybe you remember last week. This isn't a prophecy, but this is a chance to see that God is supernaturally working in Daniel's life. Do you remember he goes into this lion's den as a form of execution, but he survives it without even a scratch? What we get from Daniel and what we see in the first six chapters of the book, the first half of the book, is we see a track record of 70 years of faithful living to God, that when God says something to Daniel, and Daniel says it's going to come true, it comes true. So that when we slide into the second half of the book of Daniel, you can have a much more reasonable uh, expectation that what Daniel's saying is true, that he is a prophet. Why? Because he's got the track record to show it. In fact, leading up to this week, I don't know that this week would be as impactful if we hadn't spent the last five weeks over a month pointing out how often God shows up in Daniel's life and how often Daniel is able to just kind of speak what God wants the people to know. As God's plans are revealed, the biggest plan he talks about revolves around what is called uh, the anointed one. The anointed one. If you, if you look at um, most Old Testament prophecies, you know, they, 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 they prophesy a lot of things. They, they say, you know, God wants you to repent, turn to God. That's like the number one message of a prophet. Or they might predict a certain calamity, of, uh, you know, like a big uh, rain or a drought or something like that. They might predict a lot of different things. And many of them predict the rise and falls of kings and kingdoms. But like the holy grail for prophecy is if you get some piece of information about the anointed one. The anointed one. In English, that's how we say it, the anointed one. There's a word in Hebrew that you might be familiar with that translates anointed one. That word is Messiah. So they begin to prophesy about the Messiah. This is the anointed one. Uh, Most of the Bible was written in Hebrew, about two-thirds of it. The back third of it is written in Greek. You know what the Greek word for Messiah is? Christ. The holy grail of prophecies was the prophecy that led to something about Christ. Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It's not his surname. Christ was a title. It meant anointed one, chosen one, 
anointed Savior. So when we look at Daniel, and we're actually not going to read a chunk of Daniel. I'm going to kind of summarize for you because it gets a little complicated to understand. Not that you can't understand it, but it would just take us like an hour. You're totally welcome to read it on your own. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel begins to talk about this anointed one. And Daniel gets to enter into the narrative and start to explain some things. Now, what we'll get there is Daniel begins using some language that is like a, a Hebrew math thing. Uh, they had this unit of time and measurement that they called a, a seven a seven, and in and, and this uh, context, it means a period of seven years. So if you're going to read on your own through Daniel chapter nine, you're going to see that he says uh, there are seven, there will be 70 sevens, and then he says there's going to be 62 sevens, and seven seven, and, and seven sevens, and one seven, and I know the first few times I read through, I'm like, what is this? I don't even understand what he's talking about. But if you get into it, it's a Hebrew counting system. This is what Daniel predicts. I'm just going to let this cat out of the back because it's crazy. Daniel predicts this. That 483 years after the rebuilding of Jerusalem, remember Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they come and destroy Jerusalem. At some point later in history, someone's going to come and rebuild the city and the Jews are going to go back. He says 483 years after the rebuilding of Jerusalem, this is huge, the Messiah would come into the world. And this is huge for the Jews because prophets before him like Isaiah and Jeremiah, these are some of his role models. They have been talking about this anointed one that's going to come into the world. And now Daniel gets a year on it, 483 years after the rebuilding of, the temp, uh, of, rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then something else happens. If you keep reading through chapter 9, he says that anointed one is also going to die. And that might have been pretty confusing to the people who first read it. Like, well, we, yay, that didn't last long. I mean, in the same, almost same paragraph, this guy says he's going to come and he's going to die. At the time, Daniel didn't know 100% what all those prophecies meant. He even writes the same thing a couple times. He's like, and then I saw all this and I was just kind of like, I don't understand what's happening. But now that we have the, the, the advantage of having lived many years later, things that were blurry to Daniel are crystal clear to us. Because the things that Daniel predicted have come to pass. The anointed one did come. We know that he did die, but we also know that he defeated death. He rose from the dead, and in doing so, he gives us an opportunity at new life in God. That's a big setup, which is why I bring up the wise men from the nativity. And this is why. Uh, most modern people think some things about wise men from the, the Christmas story that were really myths that were made up in the Middle Ages. I mean, there's, there's like names for these three wise men and what color clothes they were wearing and all these different things. Uh, they're, they're cool things, that, but you'll never find those details in the Bible. That's just stuff that through the history of the story it was told and people made things up. Um, this is just a reminder. We need to read our Bibles, okay? Do not get your Bible education from Hallmark cards. It's not a good idea. Read your Bible and see what's in there, and we learn that there's not a whole lot of information on these specific wise men. So I wish I could give you like this really cool story on who each one was and where they went to college and who they married and all this kind of stuff. We don't, we don't know that information, but what we do know is a lot of information about wise men in general, okay? And so let me kind of bring this full circle. Let me explain to you who the wise men were. Uh, overall, the wise men were, they were known as the wise men of Persia, also called Magi. Uh, they had a deep knowledge of, of this. It was this interesting blend of science and religion, that they kind of pulled together. They watched the stars for things, but they also looked for uh, sacred literature of different people. Um, they, they were part of a group that they would call themselves uh, part of Zoroastrianism, which uh, became the national religion, religion of Persia uh, under the rule of King Darius, who we talked about, uh, I think, last week. Uh, the wise men are also called um, magi, and here's a, here's a fun fact. We get our words magic and magician from magi. So no wise men, no Harry Potter, think, you know. You're welcome, J.K. Rowling. Um, but during Daniel's time, 
the wise man enjoyed a time of prominence. If you remember through these last few weeks, we've been talking about how Daniel was like very prominent in the kingdom. He was a wise man. The same wise man, magi type person that we're talking about here, Daniel was one of those guys. And he was one of the most powerful men in the kingdom throughout the reign of several different kings. And this has led many to believe that through Daniel's influence, later generations of wise men became familiar with the sacred scriptures of the Jews. It's highly likely because we see that Daniel in his book talks about reading the prophet Jeremiah, for example. That because Daniel was a rock star among wise men, you got to think back. I apologize if you've missed the last few weeks and you might miss some of this, the nuance of this. But man, Daniel did some amazing things to the point where these world leaders, these kings, guys like Nebuchadnezzar, uh, guys like King Darius, they've, they've written letters to the kingdom saying everyone should worship the God of Daniel. Do you remember that? So this guy makes a huge impact on these people. So much so that we do know that years later, wise men from Persia did study the Jewish scriptures particularly the prophets, because it was interesting to them. And this study of the Jewish scripture and the prophets, and possibly even Daniel's writing himself, probably, because remember, he's the rock star of the wise men. The study of, of these words about the Messiah lead this future generation of Magi right to the front door of the Messiah. How cool is that? Crazy connection there. If you got a Bible today, we're going to get into it now. So go ahead and you can flip over. We'll be in the book of Matthew. Uh, we've been in the Old Testament. We've been studying the, uh, the story of Daniel. We're going to, the book of Matthew is in that last third of the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible today or you don't own one, we've got some free ones right under the chair. Feel free to grab one, use it, and you can keep it. We want you to have it as a gift. Everybody needs a good, readable version of the Bible. But Matthew is uh, the first book in the New Testament, and it's one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. And like many good biographies, Matthew starts with the birth of the subject Jesus. And so we're going to see that, guess who shows up during this birth narrative? Daniel's friends. <laughs> From his old stomping ground, the Magi. Uh, if, you, if you don't have it, you can also read on the screen behind me. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 2 and look at verse 1 and 2. It says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. These magi lived some 400 years after Daniel, okay? And, and as they studied the Jewish literature, along with their routine survey of the skies, they saw something coming together between the two that made them believe a king is being born. Now, as they're studying Jewish literature, naturally, uh, they believe that it's going to come from, from the Jews. And so uh, they, they, they begin this journey. They pack up their camels or whatever they were on, and they get some, some gifts because what do you do when you go visit a king? You take some gifts. And they hike this trip, which on an easy road is about 1,000 miles. But it may have been much harder, much longer than that. And we've been studying the life of Daniel, a really godly man. Uh, and it can be easy when you look at uh, the life of Daniel. And I don't know if you felt this. I have a few times if we studied it the last month or so. I look at the life of Daniel, and every week I'm standing up here and like, we should stand like Daniel. We should be like Daniel. Let's take a stand. Be a God chaser. You look at a life like that, and you're like, man, how could I ever? How could I ever be like that guy? I mean, that guy had it all put together. 70 years of a good track record. They couldn't find any dirt on him last week in the story we told. How could I ever? But then I get to the story of these guys, the Magi. These are, these are pagans, okay? They, they worshiped false gods. They worshiped idols. Who knows what their actual faith belief was. But they knew a little bit about God, just a little. And they took what they knew, 
and they began to chase it because they wanted to find the truth that they could find. I'm reminded of something that Jeremiah, another, another prophet, said, and, and I feel like that it applies to these wise men, and I believe it's applied to me for sure, and I know that it applies to you. And This is what he says in Jeremiah 29, 13. He says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's easy to not try, but when we begin seeking God, he shows up in crazy ways. Even to these guys who weren't perfect, they knew only a little bit about God, but they chased him the best way they knew how. And so naturally, as they're studying this Jewish literature and they believe a Jewish king is going to be born, where are they going to go? Well, the capital of the Jewish people. They go to Jerusalem. They go, first stop, the palace. Now, I've got to give you a little history here. The palace uh, at the time was not occupied by a Jewish king. Uh, traditionally, the royal house of the Jews was the, the line of David, and there's all these uh, Davidic kings, kings that had come from the line of David. But at this time, the Romans were in charge, and the Romans had appointed this guy Herod to be the, the regent of the area. So Herod's the king. So they show up at Herod's door, and I don't know how hard it is to get to a king. Like, I imagine you have to go through a secretary or something. But they, like, he eventually gets, they get to talk to Herod, and they're like, we're here to worship the newborn king. Herod's like, huh? News to me. I'm the king. I'm the king, and there's nobody going to take my place. Side story about Herod. When you study Herod, he is a super paranoid king. Uh, there, there are stories about how he, uh, he had sons, many sons, and uh, other relatives and people that were close to him executed because he was paranoid that there was a plot to take his throne. And so this news from these foreigners who showed up out of town on camels looking for a newborn king, he ain't trying to hear that. So he's not happy about that. And so he says, um, what do you mean, a king? I'm the king. So he calls together, if you keep reading in verse 3 and 4, he calls together some of his advisors and the, and the people who knew the Jewish scriptures. And he says, hey, do you know anything about this king? Where, where do they say the king's supposed to be born? Apparently, king wasn't as familiar with uh, the Jewish scripture as these magi were. His, his, uh, his advisors say, Matthew 2, verse 5, is it, well, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote a prophet. This is in Matthew, but it's actually a quote of Micah 5, 2. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Turns out, the wise men were Almost there. Bethlehem's like four miles south of Judea. It was, it's like a suburb. They, they were so close. They followed, I guess, the star. They get in the vicinity. They're like, okay, we're here. Where would we find a king? Let's go to the palace. How oh, is not the palace. Um, Herod starts this plot, by the way. Herod is so paranoid. He decides, uh, I don't want any babies claiming to be king around here. So he puts out an edict that all of the boys, two years old and younger, would be put to death which is pretty hardcore. That's how paranoid and crazy this king was. Do you notice a theme among kings in this book that we've been studying? Yeah, and, and so he decides he's going to put to death all these kids, which, again, by the way, it's not the last time Jesus will have a plot against his life. The whole time in his life, he's having people that are out to kill him, which is a super ironic thing because the whole reason Jesus came was to die. He was like, hold on, guys, I'm going to get there. Like, I plan on dying. You can have my blood, but I've got plans first. God has plans, plans, plans. And things happen according to his time, according to his measurement, according to things that he wants to accomplish. So even baby Jesus was like, yep, not taking me right now. That's a whole other story, though, because we're talking about the wise men. Just thought you'd like to know that. So we get back to the wise men. So they, they go down, and they travel to Bethlehem, and they 
find the baby Jesus. Uh, let's get back to them. Matthew chapter 2, now we're in verse 9 and 10. It says, after they, had re- sorry, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. If you've ever gazed at stars, that's not how star watching normally goes. This is supernatural. This is amazing. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. You ever been on one of those long road trips for vacation? You know, like you drove across the state to go on vacation, or you went to Disney because you're crazy. And, uh, and you drive, 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 and you pull into the parking lot, and you're finally like, whoo, we made it. It's here. It's an exciting thing. But I want you to put ourselves in the shoes of the, of the wise men because they left on a journey that they weren't really sure how it was going to end. Like they probably thought when they got to the palace in Jerusalem, like, hey, we made it. Oh, we didn't make it? Oh, okay. Bethlehem, and then they, they, imagine walking into Bethlehem. This is a tiny little town. And you walk in, they're like, man, this can't be it. <laughs> this cannot be the place that we left and tra- traveled all these hundreds and hundreds of miles to get to. So can you imagine their joy when they finally walk up on this one place, and there's the baby. By this time, we believe he was a, a, a little toddler, not, not still in the manger, maybe toddling around one or two years old. And Wow. The joy they must have experienced. These magi had traveled through who knows what for days and weeks and, and maybe longer. And they might have had moments where they were like, is this even worth it? And can you imagine the grief they might have gotten from other friends at home? Like, what are you doing? What? You're going to cash it all in and get that box of gold and take it where? To a baby? A Hebrew baby? Why? We're Persians. we got a maid over here. But they took the little that they knew about God, about his plans, 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 and they began to chase it, and they found joy. And when they arrived at the place, they bowed down, and they worshiped. Matthew 2, 11 shows that moment. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, this is where we get the tradition of having three wise men. Three gifts, three wise men. Sounds good to me. We don't know for sure. But the point is, they bowed down. They saw that God was up to something. I don't have a clue how much the Magi really knew or didn't know about God. I don't. Like I said, we don't have a lot of details about them specifically. I know they didn't have a full picture. They might have had something from reading some of the literature, but what they could see was that there was something worth investigating. Plans from long ago were unfolding before their very eyes. Uh, It was big enough to span centuries of history. It impacted light years of outer space. I mean, the stars are responding to this. And they had to check it out. I got to do something. I got to do the best I can. And then when they found it, they bowed down. Now we live... Over 2,000 years later, and we have a much fuller picture. The blurry picture that Daniel might have seen in Daniel chapter 9 and, and, and the, the slightly clearer picture that the wise men got to see, we get to see in full HD. Because what we know is not only did Daniel say something and maybe a few others. Check this out. The Old Testament, uh, there, are, there, are, there are close to 350 prophecies about Jesus 
350 prophecies about Jesus, and they all came true in the life of Jesus. I just want to share a few of you. Just, if you haven't seen these, man, this is amazing. Like the very first one in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says that there would be a Messiah and that he would be born of a woman, which right now we're like, duh, like that's kind of how birth happens. But no, being born of a woman says specifically that this would be a human. Like this isn't going to be an angel. This isn't going to be some supernatural like force. This is going to be a human. It says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, kind of clarifies that moment. It says that this human being would be born of a virgin, which that's pretty spectacular, I'm just saying. Back in Genesis chapter 22, it also says that he would be a descendant of Abraham. Later in Genesis chapter 49, notice we're still basically in the first book of the Bible. It specifies that not only will it come from the house of Abraham, but specifically through the family line of Judah. And then it gets narrower and narrower. In Isaiah chapter 11, we learn that this Messiah, this anointed one, this Christ, would be from the line of Jesse, who's a guy that we can read his story in the Bible. And then further on, we find in Jeremiah 23 verse 5 and also in other places that he would be from the house of David. This is one of Jesse's sons. And then in Micah chapter 5, we just read this a minute ago, it says that he would be born in a town called Bethlehem. In Daniel chapter 9, which is our guy Daniel, Daniel 9, 24 through 25 says that he'd be born 483 years after the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Move over to a psalm. Psalm chapter 72 says that he'd be presented with gifts from men from the east. I wonder if these wise men ever came across that passage. That's us. Whoa. Jeremiah chapter 31 says that he, a king, that a king would kill children in search of the baby. I wonder if Herod ever found that scripture, or if maybe later he did. Isaiah chapter 7 says that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Guys, these are just a sampling of the prophecies that are just about the birth of Jesus. And there are hundreds of other prophecies about the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, like that it would be betrayed, that he would have false accusations brought by him by false witnesses. If you read Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, we get this amazing, accurate description about the manner of his death through crucifixion, which is actually like a style of execution that wasn't even really being practiced at the time. Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus was born. And the description there is, is spot on with what happens with Jesus. It's amazing. God has plans, plans, plans. And God's plans were to come into the world and show us that he loves us. And that he's got plans, plans, plans to give us the way back to him. It's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. Jesus said, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus himself was aware that God's plans were coming to fruition through him. This is God coming in human form. Why? Because God had plans, big plans, plans for you, plans for me. Mathematicians say that the, the possibility and probability of just eight of these prophecies being fulfilled in one person is one chance in a hundred million billion. No, I'm not going to try to write that down. I don't know how. You could ask Brian who plays drums. He could probably write that down. It's a lot of, lot of zeros behind a one. The fact that one person 
would fulfill those. It's as if God was creating a unique fingerprint so that we could know that God is reliable and that his plan is to deliver us and that no matter what we're going through, he has got a plan. He has since the beginning. When Daniel wrote his little piece of the plan in Daniel chapter 9, man, he, he had no idea what the full picture was. It even said so several times. Yeah, I just didn't know. I didn't know. So I kind of, I bowed my head, and there's one point where he spends three weeks where he just can't even take a bath or eat because he's like, I'm so blown away by the stuff God's showing me. He had no idea. But the outcome of the story is it's undeniable. The light of Jesus that has shone into the lives of so many of you in this room, tell me, is it, is it deniable? And God, God is changing us. He comes into us through his love, through his light, through Jesus' sacrifice. And it changes us. And it's making, I know some of you, it's making dads better dads, husbands better husbands, wives better wives, and, and moms better moms. It's making employees better employees. This isn't about a social club to come and gather and see, like, where can we give the most money and where can we make network connections so we can do better at our job. No, it's about God having plans to bring you out of darkness and into his light where we can experience growth and life. As we wrap up, I want to give you this thought. Uh, this Christmas, as you see a nativity scene, as you see Mary and Joseph sitting underneath the barn and the sheep and the cattle and you see the shepherd, and I want to encourage you, as you see the wise men on those camels, man, think about God's plans. And he connected a people that were the most unlikely to his love by showing them, like, if you just take the little bit you know about me and begin to chase me, I'll change your life. And you'll find him ready to receive you, and you'll be able to bow down and worship. And he'll give you the strength so that you can stand. I just want to pray for us this morning. Let's pray. God, you're good. You really are. And uh, to think that you have plans for my life is um, it's a little bit unbelievable, if I'm honest. It's a little bit overwhelming if I start to believe it. But it's undeniable. I know in my life I've been able to see it and see when you've taken me out of dark places and, and sin and, and addiction and craziness and pain. And each time it's, it's your light that brings me back to, to hope and Lord, at Christmas, um, I just pray that we have this season to remember that you had plans. Uh, that This story is not just about a baby that was born, but about a, an almighty God who you humbled yourself. And you, got, you came down and, and you lived this life so that we could know that you understood us. And you give us an opportunity to connect with you. Thank you for your plans. And Lord, help us to make plans. Help us to make plans to grow in you and to tell other people about your love. We love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.